So uh, in this week's Parsha, we start Sefer Shemot and begin to explore Yitziat Mitzrayim, the story of the Exodus, which for those of us who are interested in what we can call inner Torah, um, it's just so rich and so ripe, and certainly in the Hasidic tradition there is a lot made of the the inner dimensions, the inner Mitzrayim, the inner slavery, and the and the inner exodus and uh, and redemption. Uh, and just or just one other thing in terms of that practice, I went to uh, a tish once in Me'asharim, and there's a very interesting practice in these like Hasidic tishes where there's the Rebbe, and then uh, and then there's like a line of his Hasidim, like on Leil Shabbat on Friday night. And they come like one at a time, and not right in front of the Rebbe, but they're in a line. And as one person gets to the front of the line, he makes direct eye contact with the Rebbe, and it's kind of like a bow of acknowledgement, and then, and then moves on. And the Rebbe is there just making eye contact and kind of receiving in the fullness of his presence each chassid who presents before him. So I really think that's what we're doing in this practice. Each moment or experience of life presents itself to our awareness, to the, like the inner Rebbe. And the task is just to be fully present and acknowledge its presence presenting itself for attention. And that in and of itself is a profoundly uh, healing and deep practice for integrating and becoming intimate with all parts of ourselves and with all parts of, with all parts of life. So the uh, the Me'or Naim, uh, one of the early Hasidim, Talmud of the Maggid of Mezrich, says, We all know the secret meaning of our exile in Egypt. Awareness itself was in exile. And he says that Torah actually represents awareness, and that Israel had to go down into Mitzrayim to raise up fallen Torah. And he, and he quotes Ben Zoma from the Talmud in Masachet Brachot, he says, so that you recall the day you came forth from Egypt all the days of your life. That's a quote from Chumash. And then a drash on that is that the days, he says, suffices to tell us to remember every day. But it says all the days. So why does it say, just, why does it say all the days and not just the days? He says that all of all the days is there to include the nights as well. And the drash of the Moranayim, he says, day is a time when the mind is clear time when we follow its directives. But we need to remember our liberation from Egypt at night as well, when in darkness. If we then recall the existence of a great and awesome God who created everything out of nothing, and in whose hands all remains, as it says in Psalms, night will shine like the day for us, and we will come forth from darkness. So there's a couple pieces in there that that I want to mention in terms of our own lives and our own practice. One is that in times of darkness and constriction and struggle, our awareness that we've come out of difficult situations before can provide us chizuk and encouragement that, oh, not, not to, one of the uh, challenges and pitfalls of difficult situations is a tendency to globalize and uh, eternalize them. Oh, this is it. This is, my whole life is stuck, and it's always going to be this way. But if we could just remember and draw on our past experience of ephemerality or of times passing and cycles of life, 
we can know that night is always followed by day. Uh, and the other piece is that we can actually draw on that same process. And this is what I want to explore a little bit. What is, what was in, in that story is the process of exodus, of liberation from Mitzrayim. And we'll point out that Mitzrayim, which the simple translation of which is Egypt, but the Hebrew is so rich because, the, because it's from Tsar and Meitzar, a place of narrowness, strait, a place of constriction. So it, it immediately asks for a, a deeper reading and identification with those parts of our lives where we feel really like this. We feel constricted, we feel stuck, we feel pressured, we feel constrained. And so we'll see that in that same process where one of the keys to liberation was becoming aware of the divine, we can do that in each of our own, each of our own struggles. So I want to go through the story a little bit and see what are some things that we can learn from, the, from this week's parsha, from Parshat Shemot, and from the beginning of the Exodus to help us in our, in our own Exodus from our own, from our own places of Mitzrayim. Um, one of the early decrees against the Ivrim, against the Hebrews, was that the baby boys should be thrown into the river to stop their proliferation. Um, because they were, the uh, Mitzrim, the Egyptians were afraid that we were becoming too fertile. Uh, and so they wanted to drown us. And that, and that in some ways is an experience that we're all familiar with, drowning, with overwhelm, with feeling like we, we have to fight, and if we don't fight, then, then that's it. And that is itself a challenge to our own fertility, our own creativity. Because when we get in that mode of fighting drowning, we get into the fight or flight mode, and, we, and it narrows our vision, it activates the sympathetic nervous system, and we just we've got to find the quickest exit out. But that cuts us off from creativity, from openness, from responsiveness, from exploring different ways of being, different, different possibilities. In Aikido, which is a fascinating uh, form of martial arts, where the whole practice is learning to use, skillfully use whatever energy somebody brings at you, there's no actual attack in Aikido, it's just all transforming the energy which comes to you. They teach a technique called soft eyes. So if somebody is attacking you, as we just said, normally the, the response is fight or flight, or freeze. And those are evolutionary responses. Soft eyes teaches you to relax right in that place of being attacked, so that you're open to the full spectrum and scope of your resourcefulness in terms of how you will respond. There's a haunting story about a, uh, a paratrooper who, uh, was, who jumped out of a plane, and they told him before that his parachute was, uh, was going to open from the, from the other side. But I've never jumped out of a plane, but let's say normally you pull the chute with your right hand from the left side. So they told him they, his chute was going to be pulled from the other side. He would have to pull it with the other hand. And he jumped, and, and apparently he died, and they, and they found his body, and apparently he forgot. And when it came time to pull his chute, he panicked. 
and they could see like he had like scratched open the whole bag and his whole shoulder and it's quite gruesome and he had just panicked but what's so striking about it is his parachute was right there it was just on the other side but that mindset of you know of panic limited him from the salvation which was which was right there and it's so true it's so true in my experience of life that oh if I just remember and just stop fighting, stop resisting whatever my experience is in a moment, I can just often notice that, oh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. And it doesn't mean there aren't unresolved things in my life, but there is a sense of, of, at, of being at peace or of being okay, even in the midst of, of indecision or not knowing what path of action I'll take. And then, and then I can be open. I can be curious, I can be playful, I can experiment, I can explore, instead of being stuck in this really paralyzing sense of, i got to figure it out, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and especially in this practice, uh, the particular approach to mindfulness that we're doing, but, but generally that is the quality of mindfulness. It's disembedding from a story or a particular experience which is happening at the moment. I don't mean dissociating, which would be like a pushing away of the experience because I can't handle its power, its magnitude. But disembedding to where I am not identified with what's happening, with the feeling if it's pain. Okay, so there's pain. It's part of what's happening to me right now. When I'm identified with the pain because it's unpleasant, the deep levels of the brain experience it as an existential threat. And then that survival mechanism goes into action and any existential threat we want to dispel as soon as possible. The same is true uh, with pleasant experience. When we're identified with pleasant experience, the brain feels like it has to hang on to it. This is life. Anything which challenges this is existentially threatening. The problem is, it's all ephemeral. So it's all going to go. So anytime we're trying to hang on to it, we're going we're gonna to lose. We can still fully experience it. And actually, as James often points out, the degree to which we are clinging is the degree to which we are not fully enjoying any experience because there's that subtle fear that we're, we're going to lose it. And so in this, experience, in this practice we're doing where we're really mindfully labeling all of our experience, mindfully noting it, we might just stop and ask and really explore. If, if I'm noting my experience, well, we can see that I'm not my experience, because if I were the experience, who's doing the noting? And then we might also just ask and see, well, who is doing the noting? Who is conscious of experience? And the meaningful answer to that isn't a word, or isn't a label, I mean, it's something like consciousness. Just, well, what's my experience of self and what's my experience of life when, uh, when I just step into, into that question, into that reality, into that consciousness of well, who's experiencing or who's angry? Who's frustrated? And what I find for me is that often stepping into that question kind of removes the story. It doesn't mean frustration evaporates, but it does then become a kind of cloud of energy which isn't being fueled 
by a story, by identification, often with a victim identity, I can just, oh look, here's, here's frustration. Not I'm frustrated or I'm angry. Or even I'm, I'm, it's my, it's my joy. It's just like, oh, okay, here's joy. And it's so sweet to just be here with it, to just be intimate, to just be intimate with it. Moshe, who is our leader from exile, gets his name from being drawn from the water, which I think is in, 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 insightful in and of itself. The one who will lead us out of our place of drowning is the one who has come out of, who has stepped out of that water, who's no longer drowning in experience in this context. Something else which is really striking, was pointed out to me years ago by Rabbi Steve Greenberg, is that the process really uh, gets going. It says, uh, it says, And God heard their cry. That he was speaking about that in the context of, uh, of a civil rights kind of struggle, and it's true there, and it's true here, that we need to be conscious of what is wrong, of what struggle. We're often spoken about in a meditation context, that what leads us to practice is realizing suffering. Realizing that a confused way of life leads to suffering. And once we're conscious of that, we realize, I don't really want to live suffering. I don't want to live in struggle. I don't want to really want to live in Mitzrayim for my life. Let, there's got, the first stage is just experiencing that, like, oh, come on! Mina meitzar karatiya anani b'merchavya. From that meitzar, that same word it says in the Psalms, from that place of constriction, I called out to you. Yeah? Divine, God, Anani answer me, or he answered me, in the expansiveness of the Divine. And I think that the path out of Mitzrayim, out of our places of sorrow, out of the life on autopilot and habit is through awareness. Because otherwise, we're just slave to our thoughts. We're slave to the neural networks which we've deeply ingrained in our brains. And the more we fall into our groove, into their grooves, the stronger they become. What we can do, and Viktor Frankl says this very powerfully from his experience in Auschwitz, that the only thing that that the Nazis couldn't take away was the, f- the freedom to choose how to relate, to how to respond. And that's true of ourselves. Whatever situation we find ourselves in today at this moment, for whatever reasons in our story, in our biography, we still have the freedom to choose how we will relate to what is presenting itself at this moment. And that, as I've said before, is, is really our only hope for the future. In, in a sense, the future and the past don't actually exist. Only now exists. And future experience of now is predicated on, on the seeds that we plant in this moment, on how we relate to this experience, and beginning to open up different pathways of possibility in terms of experience of life.
In Chassidut, we talk about Mitzrayim as the crucible in a couple of ways. One is that the crucible burns off the excess. My teacher of Daniel has taught that we talk about the Inui of Mitzrayim. Inui, a simple translation, the Pshad is affliction. It says, it says in the parsha, Leman anoto, to afflict them, v'kasher yanu oto, when they afflicted them. But uh, inui, that word oni, is also uh, poverty or impoverishment, not not just in the sense of not having stuff, but actually in a pos- positive sense of drawing off all that which is excessive. In, this, in the same way that you would... Uh, it's a clarifying. And that same word, the same source, the same root, is the word root for anava, for humility. It's the root for la'anot, to, to respond. Drawing off the excess, the coarse, the coarseness of ourselves, we come to a place of humility, not lowly humility, but humility of consciousness of the vastness of being. And having stripped off those layers, we become responsive. We become able to le'anot, to life. They say also, I think the Kedushat Levi talks about why Yosef has to go down to Mitzrayim in order to be losif or to to actually bring to a greater light because it's Mitzrayim. It's the dark depths. It's the place of struggle. It's the shadow, which while on one hand we have a natural aversion and want to go towards the pleasant, I find in my own experience, I remember recently I was sitting and some kind of anxiety presented itself and there was this sense of Ooh, let me just stay with the pleasant and the ease. And, and then I decided, okay, let me open to it. And uh, the Hasidic tradition especially emphasizes that there are sparks of light to be raised there once we find the keli and the space and the consciousness within ourselves to hold them. And of course, once I open to it and integrated what was there, the scent, the real, really the feeling and the sense of integration and wholeness and peace was much greater than it would have been by just trying to focus on, on the more obviously positive than light. And I think there's a big teaching about going into Mitzrayim and coming back out of Mitzrayim as this process of purification, of going into all parts of ourselves and learning to, to bring them up, to bring them in, to reveal to reveal their divinity and bring them into our Avodat Hashem, into our life of spiritual work. Now the real uh, revelation which led to, to Yitziat Mitzrayim, to leaving of Mitzrayim with, with Moshe was the revelation that happened to him at the, at the burning bush. And I think the story of how that unfolded is quite instructive. There's a, there's a Midrash which says Moshe was a shepherd, um, for his father Yitro, and it says that he, he, one of his sheep was lost and, and went astray, so he went after it. And it says that when he went after it and, and found it and took care of it, uh, it says that at that moment God said, a man who cares for his sheep will care for his people. 
that it was actually that quality, I think it's the quality of rachamim, quality of compassion, of wombful inclusiveness, attentiveness, caring, nurturing, that, that made Moshe, uh, that determined his, his ability to, to be a leader, to, to take care of his people. And I think there's a teaching there that uh, about having skillful means in all areas. This is a sheep, which is, it was part of the herd, now it's wandered off, it's astray. And that happens to us. There's parts of us which get lost. There's times when we're confused. There's parts of us which we don't know how they fit in. And what Moshe is exemplifying and embodying for us there is that we'll have compassion to those parts as well. Help them, be attentive. Help them come back in to become an integrated, integrated part of our life. The Piazetzna Rebbe in Hachshara Devrechim says that you must always be a Jew. Which is quite striking language because we're used to thinking, oh, I'm, I am, or what do you mean always be a Jew? I was born a Jew or I became a Jew and from that point on, then I'm a Jew, right? But for him, being a Jew is a, is a way of being. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's almost like, as I like to say, uh, Jewish is an adverb. It's not an adjective which describes a thing. Jewish is a way of being. It's not just something we do on special occasions. It's not just something we do on holidays or when we're davening or when we're learning Torah. But as he says, That a person shouldn't be different or shouldn't be one way in the study hall and another way on the street. It's just about an, in- an integrity, a consistency of being, which when he says to be a Jew, my understanding is he means being emotionally present, being in touch with one's soulful goings-on throughout the day in whatever you're doing, whether it's learning Torah or cooking or taking out the trash or cutting your fingernails or whatever it is, we're always alive, we're always present, always, uh, always mindful of, uh, of what is arising and emerging out of our neshama and training in that process, in a process of refinement, as he says, so that we can, so that we can come to a place where throughout the day we're aware that this world, this physical world even, is divine that we are actually already in Gan Eden. That there's no there, one day, one time, down the road, we'll get there. Bezrat Hashem, life will improve, evolve, progress, and our social reality will. But we can awaken to an experience of life where the deepest peacefulness, the deepest fulfillment and wholeness and joy is already here, not needing to be postponed until some other process has been completed. It was actually a big turning point for me some years ago when I read a piece by Heschel, uh, and he, he brought the challenge of the question of, you know, often people ask the question, is God real? And what strikes me often is that people are, are very quick to challenge the reality, the existence of God, which I think can be a, a very important and productive process in terms of touching 
and, and getting to a sense of the real aliveness of the divine, not just the conception. But they, they rarely turn that question upon themselves as well. Well, am I real? Do I exist? Or what is, what is this I? Who is the I who is asking the question? And I think we need to be doing that challenging in both directions until we touch what's real. So Heschel said, the question is asked, well, am I alive to God's realness? Am I alive to God's realness? Am I awake to the realness of the divine? And for me, that was a real turning point. You know, that's really true. The divine is here. Am I sensitive enough? Am I awake enough to, to be aware of it, to experience it? And if I'm not, let me not let me not challenge the reality or existence of the divine. Let me challenge my own sensitivity. In some ways, you know, I, don't, I don't think usually it's, uh, it's malevolent. I think it's just ignorant. But I think in some ways, um, when, people, when people do that, it just, that's what it is. It's just ignorance. Because that's what it says the, the essential spiritual malady is forgetting. Not forgetting a fact, forgetting that, that something is real, forgetting in the sense of losing touch with, losing awareness. And often uh, the, the word zakhar, liskor, is used a lot in Chumash, and it's usually translated to remember, which is what it means in modern Hebrew. But I've understood that its better translation is to be aware. So that, that goes in tandem with forgetting. When you forget, it's not because you didn't. Remember, it's, it's something which we, are, we have lost our sensitivity to. The Netivot uh, Shalom in one of my favorite Torahs, on Parshat Tazriyam Torah says, uh, he quotes the Pasuk, Al tashlicheni milfanecha v'ruach kotshecha al tikach mimeni. And says about the first part, Al tashlicheni milfanecha, don't send me far away from you. He says, what that means is, it's a prayer of let me not be far distant, alienated from you, from the Divine. And the second part, and your Holy Spirit, don't take away from me, he says, well, at least if and when I am far, let me feel it. Let me not forget that, that there's something else. Let me not at least feel the yearning, at least know that there is, there is another possibility, there is a possibility of being totally at home in the world, in touch with the divine. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in our world is so many of us, so many people are totally unaware of that, unaware that they're unaware, that they're unaware. And even those of us who are attempting to be aware, to be on some kind of path of spiritual practice and growth, often get caught in a state of mind, experience, sense about our lives, where we've just, we've just forgotten. We've just totally lost touch of, of what can be and what is. Huh. So, so this is how it unfolds in the Parsha. Moshe ya ro'et tzon yitro chotno, koen midyan, ve'inahag et tzon achar midbar, ve'yavo el har Elohim choeva. Now Moshe was keeping the flock of Yitro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the farthest end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, unto Choreb. 
ויראה מלאך אדוני אליו, ולבת אש מתוך הסנה. ויער והנה הסנה בוער באש, והסנה איננו אוכל. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. There's a midrash which says that that bush, the snare the burning bush, was there from the beginning of creation, which is quite striking. Wouldn't somebody else have noted in the previous thousands of years that the bush was here burning and not yet, and not being consumed, and yet only motion noticed, because the truth is, it's quite subtle. You have to look quite, quite closely to see that it's not being consumed. And I want to ask, do we see that dimension of creation which is not consumed? It's so easy sometimes in Chumash or in stories to, to blame or to say, well, why didn't they notice it? And we just ask ourselves, well, whatever was true for them, are we are, are we noticing that there is a dimension of creation which is not consumed? On some level, all of creation is fleeting. But if you just notice for a second the space between your breath, between the in-breath and the out-breath, and between the out-breath and the in-breath, there's a stillness there. And the truth is that stillness is actually always present in the background of what's happening. We just get absorbed and lose awareness of the background. We, because of the way we evolved, focus, and because of the way we're enculturated, focus on the happenings and lose that stillness and peacefulness which is always present. An infinity which is always present. I uh, discovered standing uh, on the balcony on top of Mount Gilboa, looking out over the valley, probably hundreds of kilometers, at least many dozens of kilometers in either direction. There's a feeling of openness, a feeling of vastness. And then I discovered if I closed my eyes, I, I can actually still experience that sense of openness. Meaning it's not actually dependent on the stimulus. It's just, it's just evoked by the stimulus. And the truth is, there's actually no less expansiveness in this closed room of four walls. It's just that the way we habituate in, into interacting and being in spaces, it gives a sense of small, smallness. But especially as our uh, understanding of physics grows, there's, there's just infinite space here. And we can practice that softening and that opening to the infinite space just by, by letting go, by softening, by letting the out-breath take us into its relaxation, by relaxing our, our vision a bit into the soft eyes kind of space. Usually our eyes latch on to whatever objects are there, but we can just we can soften. Notice that wherever you're standing or sitting at the moment, the openness actually extend, right in front of you extends to the end of the universe, not just to the end of the room. And just note that feeling.
it's so right here, and yet the question is, are we present to it? And Moshe said, Vayomer Moshe, I will turn aside now and see. And see this great sight. Fundamental qualities in the path. Curiosity, exploration, not just following the rote path, the path of routine. How many times as a shepherd had he walked those spaces before? And yet, let, let me see. And some of you can notice that in practice or just in life. We just run so much on, on autopilot, but well, what is it? <laughs> what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be experiencing? Of course, not seeking intellectual answers, though those can be interesting and insightful, but just experientially, well, what's this feeling of sitting? Or what's the feeling of my bum touching the chair, or of hearing? Or what's, the, what's this feeling of ambivalence? Or what else? Let's see. Let's see what's here. There's an opening to discovery. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And said, Moshe, Moshe. And he said, And he said, Here I am. That, that's the proximate cause of revelation, of being present. First, he has to be here. First, he has to hear. He has to have enough awareness, sensitivity to intone the divine call, to be present to hear it, and then to agree to it, which he's a bit ambivalent about. And he said, Do not approach here. Take off your shoes from upon your feet because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. My teacher of Daniel has pointed out, he says, Take off your shoes. Feel. There has to be, there has to be an unmediated direct experience of that place, of this place, in order for the revelation to happen. And what's the revelation? Moshe said to, to God, Who am I that I should go to, to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And it's so interesting to just pay attention to the verses here because there's not a direct answer. You would, Moshe said, who am I? And you might expect that then God would tell him what qualities he had noticed in Moshe that make him fit to be the leader. But let's see what happens. And he said, certainly I will be with you. That's quite interesting. Who am I that I should be the one to take them out? I will be with you is who you are. And skipping forward, Moshe, still uncertain, Moshe 
הנה אנוכי בא אל בני ישראל ואמרתי להם אלוהי אבותיכם שלכן ילחם ואמרו לי מה שמו מה אמר עליהם. And Moses said to God behold when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them the God of your fathers has sent me unto you and they shall say to me what is his name what shall I say to them. ואמר אלוהים על משה אהיה אשר אהיה כה אמר לבני ישראל אהיה שלכן ילחם. So how does God respond to that doubt? He said to Moses, I don't really know how we translate this, but I will be as I will be. And this is what you should say to the children of Israel. I will be has sent me to you. And again what Rav Daniel pointed out to me is that any time with that instruction, any time Moshe is going to be speaking about God, he's actually going to be speaking in the first person. Who sent you? I will be sent you. That's, that's the most unreified being. It's avoiding naming something, because naming something means then we can manipulate it, then we can say exactly what it is. But this name is actually saying what you can't pin, pin down. The, the ineffable. That will free you. Who sent you, Moshe, they'll say? Ah, the one which can't be limited. And because he's saying it in first, in first person, that part, of, that part of me, and likewise that part of you, that is the ticket to freedom. It's that no-thingness, that dimension of no-thingness, of fluidity, of equanimity, of being, with the flow, which, which, going back to where we started, is the opposite of drowning. Or can be. Like they say with quicksand, you know, fighting it makes you stuck. When you let go, that allows you to be saved, allows you to float down the river. Like they say in the instructions when you fall out of a raft, don't, don't fight, you'll get caught, your feet will get stuck. Lie on your back and let go and float. It's that which can't be named, which can't be captured. And it's that part of me, Moshe is going to be saying, that consciousness is what enables me to lead you to freedom. So just to conclude, um, that's proved true in my own experience of moving from darkness to light, moving from an absorption, really an enslavement to thought, to ruminating, to negative cycles of negative thinking which have a strong gravity into them, pulling down into that Mitzrayim, into those straits. And learning, just as Mo- Moshe turned aside to see, there's another, there's, see something else, to see what else is possible, to explore other pathways of, of being able to abide, to just abide in being, in stillness, or in presence with whatever is presenting itself, without trying to manipulate it, without trying to escape it. And in letting go of, of trying to escape, as it says in Tehillim, relax and know that I am God. A sense of, oh, the okayness is actually already here, in the ease, in the spaciousness which opens up as I, as I open up. 
as I learn to be compassionate to the stray parts of my experience, which might not present themselves as immediately energizing and, and relevant. And when I slip, it's because I forget. And the fundamental imperative, and we see this so ubiquitously throughout our tradition, is the whole etitziat mitzvahim. So many mitzvot are connected to that. Remember, remember that you were in Egypt, remember that you left Egypt. Not remember just as the chronological happening, but have awareness, have awareness of, of Exodus, of the possibility of coming out of Mitzrayim, that you've very likely done it before along your path. Not just that it's an event that happened, but that it's a possibility. It's a possibility which is ever-present in our lives and in our paths.